Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. I'm your host, Brad Fowler. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another great show today. Are the 49ers overrated? Are the Ravens Super Bowl contenders? USC is the most disappointing team in college football, and we'll tell you why it's about to get worse for the Trojans. NFL and college football takeaways from last week, and we'll preview this weekend's big games, plus a lot more. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? A lot of things to talk about, Brad. I mean, recently, as of today, we just found out that Brock Purdy is in concussion protocol, and they have a very interesting game coming up after coming off of that loss to the Vikings as well. So it's going to be some things that we really have to look into and what's going on in San Francisco. Yeah, that news did drop here just recently, and we're going to talk about the Niners. We're going to jump into that game. They had a shocking loss to the Vikings on Monday Night Football. Back-to-back losses now, and now your quarterback is going to be out. So this is an interesting time here because they have a big-time matchup that we're going to dive into. It definitely gets interesting now with Sam Darnold coming off the bench. But let's start with Week 7. I want to start with Eagles-Dolphins. In the second half, Jalen Hurts has a brace on his left leg. Hurts had a bad fumble in the first half, and and he threw an ugly pick six. Alex, he's having trouble taking care of the ball this year, and only Russell Wilson is getting rid of the ball slower than Jalen Hurts. It just feels like, I don't know if it's part of this new offense. I'm not sure what's going on here, but it feels like when you watch him play, he's just holding on to the ball way too long and putting himself in a lot of bad situations, and it's causing a lot of turnovers. Now, to his credit, he responded after that game-tying pick six, led Philly on an eight-play, 70-yard game-winning drive. What are your thoughts on the Eagles here? This was a big win. I feel like this was a big bounce-back win, kind of a statement win against a good Dolphins team, but what are your thoughts on this on Hurts and this game? Yeah, I mean, I think we spoke about it a little bit last week as well. I think there is a notion of maybe... And you alluded to this a lot, the change of the guard at offensive coordinator. So the play calling style has changed, even though it's probably basically the same playbook because Brian Johnson, the current OC, was the quarterback's coach, if I'm not mistaken, last year. But I think there's too much being put on Jalen Hurts' shoulders offensively, and there's not enough of going back to running the ball across the board, not just Jalen Hurts running the ball, but everyone The entire committee by running back, you know, Swift, Gainwell, Scott, you also move Penny in there as well. So I think there is that aspect of it. And then there's a lot for Jalen Hurts, who's still not the traditional skill set that allows him to use his legs and be more effective in an offense. So I think they need to get back to doing what they do best, which is truly running and throwing off of the run and then throw a lot more play action because I think a lot of people now – They've gone a year through that offense. They see everything that it is. So I think a lot of teams are catching up onto what their defense, excuse me, what their offense is. I mean, it, they're probably never going to be able to stop the brother, the brotherly shove. But I'm sure the competition committee will have something to say about that at the end of the season. But I think they need to balance it out a lot more. And I know statistically they are running 
the same amount as they, uh, excuse me, on pace where they were last year, but they're not running as effective and having the yards effective as they ran last year. So I think they need to put a little bit more emphasis on running more and setting up the run and then passing because he does have those toys, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, who is a man-child out there, and as well as Dallas Goddard as well. But I think balancing out a little bit more will help Jalen Hurts. He's on pace to throw, to have 600 attempts at about 4,500 yards and only 22 TDs and 19 interceptions. And that's just a per 17 if he continues at the current pace that he's on right now. That doesn't bode well for a team that's looking, that feels that they are in the Super Bowl window. There's just a lot of, it just it just doesn't feel right. We felt they didn't play their best game and we still don't feel like they played their best game. So it's going to be interesting watching the Eagles as they go throughout the season. Yeah, I'm going to talk about A.J. Brown in just a second, but you set me up perfectly for this, Alex, because the Twitter poll question of the week at PGF Podcast got a ton of engagement and a ton of votes on this one, guys. Should the NFL ban the tush-push play or the brotherly shove, as they call it in Philly? Last I checked on the results, 37% are saying yes, 63% are saying no, I was a little surprised by these results, but I, like I said, a ton of engagement. People have a lot of opinions on this play. I think it does feel to me like an unfair advantage. I feel like it's an unfair advantage to the offense. And let's face it, the offense in 2023, it already has enough unfair advantages. We keep giving more advantages to the offense and making it more and more difficult for these guys to play defense. So from that regard, I'm okay with them getting rid of it, and it's football. It's not rugby. It doesn't really feel like a natural football play when you watch it. Now, I get it. It's legal right now. I don't blame the Eagles or any other team for using it, but if I was a coach, and I have yet to see anyone do this, by the way, and if they have, I've missed it, and and I'm quite shocked that nobody's done this yet. I would insert two extra offensive linemen and report them as eligible and put them in the backfield to push the quarterback. If you put in your backup guards or tackles behind your quarterback, that play would literally become impossible to stop at that point. But before we jump into some more stuff here, what what are your thoughts on that play? There's a lot of debate on it. Do, Do you like it? Should they get rid of it? What do you think? I don't mind it at all. I wish I would like to see defenses get a a little bit more creative in terms of how to stop it. We just see defenses line up and try to get lower and this, that, and the third one. For me, and again, this is just me looking at it, and I'm wondering if, because he's running right behind the center, what if you and what if you have somebody that's angled towards the center and instead of making allowing that center to go forward, you hit him to the left or you hit him to the right? And you push him off of his mark from going forward because you now are attacking him from the side and you're pushing him left or right, whichever side you decide to come from. But then that also kind of maybe helps some of the guys behind you. However, it's set up defensively to maybe get a push that'll get a hit on the quarterback that can stop the momentum of going forward. I want to see defenses get a little bit more creative as opposed to just lining up. Now, you mentioned A.J. Brown. And I'm glad you did because this guy has become unstoppable. And Alex, I'm taking a victory lap on this one. PGF Nation, you guys know we've always had a lot of NFL draft coverage on this podcast. And I've had my share of misses on prospects. I'm not going to lie. I'm not always right. But when DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown were both coming out of Ole Miss in 2020, 
I said on this pod, I think A.J. Brown will be the better pro. I got a lot of pushback for that take a few years ago. Now, look, Metcalf has had a good career so far, so it's not like he's been a bad player by any means. But there's not a GM in the NFL right now who would take him over A.J. Brown. Now, I want to mention the Dolphins here before we move on, Alex. This team's a paper tiger. Now, we said it after they got smoked by the Bills a couple weeks ago. They're a good team. They're a fun team to watch. I love the creativity. I love the play calling by McDaniel. But they just aren't built to beat the better teams in the NFL right now. Their wins this year are over teams with a combined 8-25 and record. I really don't like their chances late in the year as the weather gets worse and going into the playoffs. I just don't think they're built for that type of football. Agreed. And once again, they don't have that tough running back that can when it gets colder, when you have to go to Buffalo, when you have to go to New England and any other places that you may have to go in the Northeast or even in the Midwest where it's going to be a little bit tougher and maybe, you know, Tua doesn't have the strongest arm and you can't play with those toys outside the way that you want to play with them outside when you're going to have to really get into any type of mutter type game or anything like that. I don't know if their team is built for that. Now, that's not saying that that still can't be effective, but they can run into some issues when you when you get into the November, December, and January football, where you hope to be, especially playing in January, further into January, where you can run into some tough teams if you don't have home field advantage or anything like that, that you're going to have to be able to make some decisions. And then the other thing is, I think they're missing Mike Gusecki because when those when you have those guys, when you have Waddle, when you have Hill, when you have those guys running downfield causing havoc, pulling a lot of coverage, to me that means the middle of the field is wide open. And what better thing to have than a nice tight end that can gobble up yards and do a lot of things that you can balance out that offense, even if you don't have the run game, but you can get some nice chunk plays in the middle of that field with a big tight end, especially in the red zone as well. Get to have that big tight end to help out when you can't go down the field the way that you want to. Ravens, Lions, Alex, this was a breakout game for Todd Munkin in this offense. I said earlier in the year that week six or seven was kind of the weeks that I circled here that I thought we should have a better idea of what this offense can really be. And it was on full display versus the Lions. The Ravens had touchdown drives on their first four possessions. They stomped Detroit. This was never even a game. I mean, the defense also shut down the number four scoring offense in the league. So this was a complete effort and a total beatdown. Detroit can talk all they want about biting kneecaps and talk about being tough and all this. Look, that's great. But the Ravens are a real bully, and they punch the Lions in the teeth. I mean, they beat them in every facet of the game. I mean, Lamar Jackson, 21 of 27, 357, three touchdowns, a 155.8 rating. They ran for, as a team, 27 times, 146 yards, 5.4 average, and then two TDs. And everybody got a piece of the pie. Gus, Zay, Mark, Odell, Rashard, Bateman. Even the, even the fullback got into it with two catches and Patrick Rashard. So I, everywhere they looked, they were beating the Lions up and down the field defensively and offensively as well. The one bright spot that I'll say perhaps for the Lions is that we finally got to see Jameer Gibbs, albeit it was a blowout game and he couldn't run a lot. So he had 11 carries for 68 yards and a touch, also nine catches for 58 yards. And this is something I've been asking for. Like, where is this number, I believe number 12 overall pick that you guys spent this such a high draft pick on 
and he's not being used. But that was one bright spot. If they want to use it as a bright spot for the Lions, we got to see Jameer Gibbs finally contribute to this team. Yeah, I think Lamar Jackson right now is playing easily the best football of his career. And for all the things the Ravens do well, they have really struggled drafting wide receivers in recent years. It's really the opposite of their rivals, the Steelers, because they have just missed on so many guys. But Zay Flowers, man, this guy has been a home run. What a player he is. Mark Andrews still playing great football in this new offense. I think Lamar is healthy. He's got a contract that he feels that stability that maybe was lacking before the big deal. I think he's playing with a ton of confidence right now. It really shows on the field. And contracts, they can do different things to different people. I think for Lamar, though, it's really helped him because I feel like right now he can just play full speed. His decision-making right now has been awesome. Keeping his eyes downfield, getting through his reads, only taking off when it's not there. Really, really high-level quarterback play. Maybe the best quarterback in the NFL right now. 49ers Vikings Monday Night Football somewhat shocking loss here to Minnesota five weeks into the year the 49ers they looked like maybe hands down the best team in the NFL but now back-to-back losses on the road now the Browns loss I think was somewhat understandable multiple key injuries in that game going up against a great defense on the road kicker shanks a 41 yarder that would have won the game that one you can almost understand but losing to a bad Vikings team where they got outplayed I think is way more eye-opening, Alex. Absolutely. I mean, the Vikings, one thing they did do, and one thing that we always knew about San Francisco, that front seven is elite. It's that back four where you have to worry. And they were able to hold up and stop the pass rush. Kirk Cousins was not sacked at all all night long. He was not sacked. That allowed him, without Justin Jefferson, We got the Jordan Addison breakout game, seven catches, 123 yards, two TDs. They finally, at least from my perspective, really truly used TJ Hawkinson as the weapon that he is with 11 catches. He had 12 targets, 11 catches, 86 yards. Everybody was doing something on the field. Brandon Powell, KJ Osborne, everybody was doing. And let's be clear. This game probably should have been as close as it was because Kirk Cousins missed Jordan Addison on a third touchdown in the back of the end zone wide open. So that front seven that we thought was elite that did not was not able to do their job against a weaker Vikings offensive line. And then offensively, they were not able to take advantage of Minnesota, which is more in the bottom half in terms of defense. Brian Flores dialing up the right blitzes, going after Brock Purdy, causing a lot of havoc. And this is one of the things when a lot of people, myself included, talked about, which is why I didn't give any type of grade or look at Brock Purdy or stamp crown Brock Purdy in some sort of way because I wanted to see full 16 games and I'm still watching he looks the part he's a good quarterback but this is really truly the first time or second time if you want to count the Browns game that he really had to play from behind in a critical situation and he made a bad mistake this wasn't just a bad interception this was something that you don't want to see a quarterback do he's not he doesn't have the strongest arm but rolling while rolling to your right throwing across your body into the middle of the field is just a recipe for for disaster. I know that from Madden. I know that from high school football, and we know it from college and the NFL as well. That was just a bad play all around. And those are some of the things that when you start to get into January, you're going to want your quarterback because he may be put in a position where he's going to have to come back and do some things. This is one of the things I was looking to see how he would look when it was time he had to come back. 
with this specific game, he failed. Doesn't mean that he's a bad quarterback. Doesn't mean that he sucks or anything. It's just that he just got taken advantage of. He wasn't able to take advantage of or come through in the clutch when needed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He made some big plays down the stretch in that Browns game, set them up for that what what would be a game-winning field goal. I, I thought he was impressive and poised on that drive. But you're right, the Monday night game, Got a little out of his element. That's really not what he does well. I mean, yes, he can move around a little bit. He's not a total statue, but Brian Flores dialed up some exotic looks and and fooled him. Look, he's a young quarterback, and he's going to make mistakes. He definitely got tricked on that play. He didn't see the defender there and tried to force one. Patriots, Bills, Alex. The Patriots pulled off the biggest upset of Week 7. I mean, this was shocking. As soon as it feels like this Bills team is for real, they lose a game like this. And this is starting to become just kind of the storyline for this team the last couple of years. I can't figure this team out week to week. From a roster standpoint and from a talent standpoint, they have no business losing to the Patriots. I give Buffalo credit for rallying back in the second half, but Josh Allen and this team continues to just be a roller coaster ride. They've had a lot of sluggish starts and a lot of poor late game execution this season. Yeah, I mean, I've always looked at the Bills as suspect. So it's not a big shock to me. I mean, Bill Belichick knows how to scheme. This is an in-division rival. I'm not shocked that they got picked off. I know how badly the Patriots have been playing, but a Bill Belichick team is going to come in ready for an in-division rival like the Bills. So they were prepared as usual, and they did what they always do. They took away your best weapon, which was Stefan Diggs. The one good bright spot for the Bills was their first round pick, Dalton Kincaid, I had been asking, where is this guy? He's supposed to be a split tight end. He was supposed to be another weapon in the offense. He had been rarely used. Dawson Knox had been taking all of the snaps and getting all of the targets. But now with Dawson Knox out, Dalton Kincaid, eight catches, 75 yards. So let's see how he looks going to the rest, through the rest of the season. Fantasy note, fantasy note, go and get that guy. And then, but to the Bills, they're still not running the ball. You have to run the ball. This is too much on the Josh Allen show. Use the running backs. James Cook has started to look like he can be somebody in this league. I'm not saying he's going to be LaDainian Thomas or anything, but he looks like he can be an effective back in this league. You need to start using the run a lot more. And then having Josh Allen go on the center and using true play action. We talked about it, Brad, off mic. Too many quarterbacks are running and running out of shotgun or too much in shotgun when the run, when the run game is effective and you basically eliminate pat, play action when you go into shotgun after effectively running the ball. Get under center and play. It's okay to play traditional football. Everything doesn't have to be the spread offense at all times. Again, kudos to what Bill Belichick does. I mean, Mac Jones looked like he got back on track. Like we always said, he should never throw the ball more than 25 to 30 times a game. He was right on target. 25 of 30, 272 yards, two TDs. That, uh, you know, game-winning touchdown, I believe, to Mike Gusecki in the back of the end zone to put the, to put the game away. The running game looked like it had some traction. 24 carries, 96 yards altogether, and a, and a touch. So, like I said, if they get that running game going, they can start to do some things. But without a running game, Mac Jones can't continue to have that high volume of attempts because that is not the quarterback that he is. Browns, Colts, Alex, this was a really great game. A game that was a little bit unexpected. I don't think going into the week, a lot of people were circling this to be a potentially good game. But, man, it was 
really entertaining. But here's the bigger question here, Alex, that I want to jump into. What in the hell is going on with Deshaun Watson? He's been hurt for a while. Now, he gets to start against the Colts. He throws a bad interception. He throws nearly another horrendous interception. He bangs his head on the turf, so he goes into protocol. Then they're like, oh, he's not coming back. Uh, Wait, he cleared protocol, or he's going to come back. No, he's not. Stefanski says he held Watson out because his shoulder was hurt. So what's the deal here? I mean, I didn't know what to make of this whole situation with Watson. Now, would they have held him out if he didn't throw the bad interception and then almost threw another one? Uh, Should he have started the game at all? I mean, should he be put on IR at this point? I've got more questions than answers here, Alex. It just seems like he has some real health problems right now. And this is a team that they could win this division. They're that talented. If Deshaun Watson was even decent, I don't think he would have to be great, but if he was even decent out there, I think they'd have a legit shot at this division. But he just hasn't been good when he does play, and then he's getting hurt all the time. I mean, now he's not even out there. They're paying a massive amount for Deshaun Watson, and so far this deal that they made for him, I mean, so far it's been a terrible investment for the Cleveland Browns. Absolutely. I I don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson as of today. They've already announced that he is out versus the Seahawks. So he's already going to miss next week's game as well. We know that Jerome Ford sustained the injury, so he is now out. So Kareem Hunt, even though they, you know, capable back, but he still is. I think this is only his third game back. So he now is thrust into having more of a workload with the with the Browns. I just think this this is a bubble that's just primed to burst at some point. And I said it last week. This is probably the best Browns defense we've ever seen, at least in my lifetime. A1 across the board at every level, they have a guy. They're number one in the league in defense, even though this game didn't show it, but everybody gets a game like this. I I don't know what to say. I honestly don't know what to say, but this is one of the things we talked about. People, this is, and I always say that, not to compare sports, but this isn't basketball where you can take a year off and then play yourself into shape. No, you're working with different players. You're working with a different playbook. You're working with a different play caller. You're in a different stadium. This is not, oh, my shot works. I can still do the shot. No, you have different receivers. You need to learn these receivers. You cannot sit out and not have played a game basically since 2020. We'll throw out last year because they were just throwing them out there just to get them some work and then come back two to three years later and think you're going to be the same person. That is not how this game works. But we could clearly see there is a disconnect with Deshaun Watson and this team, not just the coach, but with this team, because as he is going through whatever he's going through, the team is looking at that. They're watching themselves go out there, bust their humps to put themselves at four and two with a PJ Walker, with Deshaun playing below, uh, playing subpar, but still eking out games and doing what they need to do. I think this, this is a bubble that's primed to burst where there may be a mutiny I think those players are looking at Deshaun with the side eye right now. Alex, I want to wrap up week seven with Raiders, Bears. I don't know what to say here besides just fire Josh McDaniels, trade Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, Josh Jacobs, anyone else that you can bring draft picks in. Just get rid of all these guys. Blow this thing up. Start over, Vegas. It's inexcusable to get blown out by a Bears team with a rookie backup quarterback from Division II college football. I'm sorry. I I know they've won some games this year. They've had some moments where they looked okay. 
I don't care. We've seen enough. This coach is a joke. They've got to start over, Alex. As a Raider fan, I, I'm, I'm hearing that all too often. I feel like we've done a hard reset. We've done a soft reset, but we're always doing some sort of reset. And enough is enough. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I like Mark Davis. I believe he loves the Raiders, but it's time for ownership because now, like I said, I'm tired of looking at the players, at the coaches. This now has to start at the top. Start at the top and then go down because now it's just it's in need of a change of ownership in order to set this team right i mean tyson badgett whose father is more famous than him as i believe from what i saw some type of arm wrestling legend <laughs> legend in that sport <laughs> i mean to this this game was such a blow we got a nathan peterman sighting of all plays we got a nathan peterman sighting i mean and this guy you know let's just call him a jag <laughs> to borrow from steve smith senior and it's that's that's just a joke nothing against tyson badgen but he was 21 of 29 162 yards and a touchdown for a first time division two quarterback that nobody's heard of or even probably even seen tape on for him to come in and be that efficient against this team shows that this team was not prepared to play it looks like they were perhaps even overlooking this game they were unable to stop anyone because by the time it was the fourth quarter, it was 21 nothing. And anybody, we all play bad. And once it's 21 nothing, you have to give up the sticks. The game is over. And to, to have, the way that this team is set up, and I can go on a whole diatribe about how what the Raiders are doing, how everything they did doesn't make sense. But you brought in quarterbacks that don't do what you need to do when you have a wide receiver like Devontae Adams. We can say what we want about Derek Carr, but he is a he has a bit of a gunslinger's mentality because he's going to throw the ball and trust the receiver. That is not what Brian Hoyer does. That is definitely not what Jimmy Garoppolo does as well. I don't know what direction you're going in. We don't know who you are, Josh McDaniels. We do not know what your team is. We don't know what's going on with Josh Jacobs. We don't know what's going on with Devontae Adams. We don't know anything about who you are and what the, the personality of this team is. So this lies at the doorstep of Josh McDaniels in ownership. Alex, I think we know who he is. He's an offensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. Right. And I think we've seen enough now to know that he doesn't belong in that position. And he's had success as an OC, and we know that. But look, it's over. The, him getting head coaching jobs going forward, it's over. They need to rip the Band-Aid off here. These last two games kind of lead us perfectly into the WTF moments of the week, Alex. Oh, Why don't you start with yours? Well, I'll go. I'll stay exactly where I'm at. The Las Vegas Raiders and Josh McDaniels. What the hell? Why is Brian Horace starting over Aiden O'Connell against a soft Bears defense against a, another rookie quarterback on the other side? This was a prime spot for you to get this kid in. We all saw what he did in preseason. We all know that he's capable. We all know that he should have been on that field. He should have been the starting quarterback that would have gained some confidence and maybe start the clock early on moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo and perhaps saving your job. But instead, no, you wanted to go with your guy, Brian Hoyer, 17-32, 129 yards and two interceptions. Whoop-de-doo. Then all of a sudden you want to bring in Aiden O'Connell. He goes 10 for 13, 75 and a touchdown. Start the rookie. We've seen, If you are who you say you are, then do the same thing Kyle Shanahan did with Brock Purdy. Coach this guy up. It's time to lose what Brad just said. 
he this was a perfect opportunity to start this guy, get some confidence, and you fail to do so. So I have no idea what Josh McDaniels is doing. Alex, my WTF moment of the week. I had no idea what Shane Steichen, Colts head coach, was doing. And I'm going to zero in on a specific situation here because it was absolutely hard to watch. Indy had a 21-17 lead when the Browns punted the ball to the Indy 11-yard line with a minute 54 left in the half. Now, the Colts should have played it safe in the shadow of their own end zone, backup quarterback, just hand it off a couple times and give yourself some breathing room and get the clock moving. But instead, Shane Steichen opened the drive by calling passing plays, trying to put more points up on the board before half. Made absolutely no sense considering how far backed up they were. Browns then sacked Gardner Minshew for a loss of five yards on the first down. At that point, you've got to be thinking, okay, now you're really backed up. Just run the ball here. Nope, he decides to throw again. They call another passing play. Miles Garrett runs down Gardner Minshew, forces a fumble, and Browns linebacker Tony Fields recovers it for a touchdown, giving Cleveland a 24-21 lead right before the half. Close game, backup quarterback, pinned deep versus an elite edge rusher. This is football 101 stuff. Terrible. Just stupid. And Brad, if I could just offer one more. Washington Commanders. We need to, I feel like we need to throw a lifeline to Sam Howell. Sam Howell has been sacked 40 times and it's only been seven games. That's basically five, five to six sacks a game. I don't know any quarterback that can survive that. So what are you doing, Washington? Why can you not figure out how to protect Sam Howell? Everything can't be him holding on to the ball too long. 40 sacks, that is crazy. Yeah, that's your bonus WTF of the week. Oh, fuck. Alex, let's wrap up NFL Week 7 like we do every week with the NFL Week 7 game ball. Who's getting your game ball this week, Alex? It's got to be Lamar Jackson. I mean, I had been saying and I had been asking. Everybody said, oh, he's playing great. I said, yeah, but I'm not seeing it. And when I say I wasn't seeing it, I'm not saying I'm not looking at the tape and seeing him play better, go through his reads more. I was looking for this type of game. Where's the offensive explosion that a lot of us expected? To your point, Brad, you spoke about it earlier when you said you figured around week seven or eight, they might have this type of explosion, and they finally did. So Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson, it gets my game ball of the week. Excellent game, looking all over the field, hitting everybody with darts, multiple receivers all over the field using his legs when necessary, not just running out of ability, but looking and running when he needed to and when he had to and being successful while doing it. So Lamar Jackson, tip of the hat. Alex, my game ball is going to go to Browns edge defender, Miles Garrett. Look, he gets my second game ball of the year. I'm always trying to find new guys to give the game ball to, but look, I can't pass giving this guy the ball here because listen to this stat line, nine tackles, two sacks, two quarterback hits, a tackle for a loss, a pass deflected, two forced fumbles, and a blocked field goal. I mean, I think he cleaned the stadium when they were done. This guy did everything. It was unbelievable, completely dominant performance. I mean, this is a nice stat line for someone in a three-game stretch, let alone in one game. Absolutely ridiculous. Miles Garrett gets my second game ball this year. 
The official ticketing app of Pint Glass Football is now SeatGeek. I can't recommend them enough, guys. I've been using SeatGeek for years. You want to go to a game this season? SeatGeek is here to take the confusion out of buying tickets, making sure you get the best seats at the best prices. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to worry about overpaying for tickets again. How? They put a 0-10 to 10 score on each ticket, so you know you're getting a good deal. But here's the real game changer. You can get $20 off your first ticket purchase with the code PGFPOD. That's right, $20 off with code PGFPOD. This season, make every game day epic with SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app and remember to enter the code PGFPOD to grab your $20 discount. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in. The category winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone. Plus, five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. All right, Alex, let's take a look at NFL Week 8. We're going to preview some of the big games in Week 8 that we're excited to watch. I think one really stands out, and we talked about it just briefly. This 49ers-Bengals game is really intriguing here, Alex. I don't think the schedule makers did the Niners any favors here because Cincinnati had a bye in Week 7 while the 49ers played on Monday Night Football. And now with Brock Purdy hurt, and Joe Burrow starting to play better ball. It looks like he's getting healthy now at the right time. This is a big-time matchup here. Yes, and we saw Kevin O'Connell kind of give 
probably the Bengals and maybe some other teams that have the ability with the quarterback and the receivers to do so. A little blueprint to try and attack down the field because they are weak on the back four. And this is not the team you want to be coming to face after they're coming off a bye. They're, they're getting a lot healthier. And here comes T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase, as well as Joe Mixon as well. So they have, they're able to attack and do a lot of the things probably at a greater pace than what the Vikings were able to do with Jordan Addison and company. This team can really turn their season around with a big win. It's in San Francisco, well, rather Santa Clara. It, it, it's an away game for them, but to go into their house, the confidence booster that it would be for Cincinnati to be able to go in and do that. And they're in the toughest division. So wins are at a premium for every team in this division, but coming off this by going to San Francisco, then they have to face Buffalo. So this is a win that you really want to get. You want to come back strong. You want to knock out San Francisco, give you confidence going into Buffalo before you have to then face Houston, Baltimore, and then Pittsburgh. Cause it does not get easier for, for them. So if we just look at, let's just say the next couple of weeks, they have San Francisco, Buffalo, Houston, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville. And the way Indianapolis is playing, they have Indianapolis after that. So Indianapolis is a tough out as well. So these next six games, six to seven games are really going to tell us everything we need to know about Cincinnati if they're able to bounce back off of that slow start. Yeah, Alex, you've been really circling this stretch here for this team. Now, I mentioned the advantage that they have with the extra rest and the extra time to prepare. But I, I dove into the numbers here, and from a betting angle especially, because the Bengals are just 2-3 and three against the spread under Zach Taylor coming out of the bye, and they're 6-5 and five against the spread when they have the rest advantage. I thought that was really interesting. On, this, on the other side, the Niners are 11-8-1 against the spread with the rest disadvantage. So not what you would expect here, there might be a little more of an advantage for the Niners in this situation when you're looking at the numbers because they're also 3-0 and against the spread at home this year. I think the big question mark is obviously at quarterback. If Purdy was starting, I'd be pretty confident in the 49ers bouncing back, but that's a big wild card here. We don't really know what we're going to see from Sam Darnold in this new system. And like you mentioned, this is going to open up the most difficult part of the Bengals schedule here. Niners losing back-to-back games. I mean, this is just huge for both teams. This is a huge Huge game, no way around it. Bengals have played better football, like I mentioned, since Joe Burrow has started getting healthy, but they've only averaged 18 points per game the last four weeks. So even though he's looked better and the offense has looked better, they're not exactly lighting it up. And they're going up against a 49ers team with a top five offense and a top five defense that is really going to need to get back on track here. So this is going to be a really fascinating watch. Browns, Seahawks, Alex, another AFC, NFC battle here. Now, Geno Smith, I think at this point we have to realize he's not last year's Geno, but he's been good enough, and he's been good enough for the Seahawks to be a winning ball club, even with him not playing at quite the level he was last year. Now, Smith threw his fourth interception versus the Cardinals last week. That's something he didn't do until week nine last year. By then, he had thrown 15 touchdowns. This year, he has seven in six games. So he's come back down to earth a bit this year, but Seattle has a good team around him. We know they've got a great coach. They can really run the ball, and the defense can get after the quarterback. Seven different Seahawks have at least two sacks this year. 
two teams that are playing pretty good football. Both are in the in the playoff mix here. Browns defense was playing at a lights out level until last week. Like you mentioned, Alex, kind of an off week for them, other than Miles Garrett, of course. And they're going to need to get back on track and play at that type of level with a backup quarterback on the road if they want to knock off Seattle. But I like Seattle at home this week. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like Seattle as well. I mean, they're getting the, both those tackles are back and healthy. Looking at the injury report, there's not too much on the injury report. I see DK Metcalf on there, but he's questionable. So he's, but I expect him to play. We already talked about Jerome Ford being out, so Kareem Hunt is going to have to take on a bigger role. David Njoko after that accident, I believe that's probably the only reason he's on the injury report. And then the biggest thing with the Browns is Deshaun Watson is out. And if we're just talking about numbers, Cleveland has has um, only allowed 115 points. Seattle's only allowed 118. So these defenses are pretty close. So if I have to take one thing that's going to be the advantage, I'm going to have to take Geno Smith as the key in this game to win because I'm going to trust him over P.J. Walker to do something with his team that's going to be effective for them to pull this game out because these defenses, though I think there are more stars and better overall players on Cleveland Browns, but that Cle- that Seattle team as a unit is playing well together. And like I said, there's only a three-point difference in terms of how many points they've allowed. Yeah, and once you factor in that home field advantage up in Seattle, that's just a tough place to play for any road team. So I think it's going to lean Seahawks this week. Jaguars, Steelers. Steelers, despite really being inconsistent this year, they find themselves suddenly in the thick of the playoff race. Jaguars are playing great right now. They're on a four-game win streak after taking down the Saints last Thursday in a game that Quite frankly, the old Jags, they would have lost that game for sure. But this team is giving me different vibes, Alex. After that slow start, they're really starting to click on both sides of the ball. Offense wasn't great versus the Saints, but it was good enough. Steelers, they're only playing good on one side of the ball. Now, I know the the offense looked a little bit better last week, but the defense can get after quarterbacks. We know that. They can get pressure on guys. They can cause problems. If they're going to win this game, that front seven for Pittsburgh is going to have to be dominant. They're going to have to really get after Trevor Lawrence because if they don't, they're going to have a really hard time keeping up with Jacksonville because the Steelers offense, like I said, they looked better versus the Rams, but I don't trust Kenny Pickett. I don't trust the run game, and I especially don't trust Matt Canada. I think the Jags keep rolling in this one. Yeah, Brad, this is a this is a big game for me for the Jags. This is one that you want to have with those the last two wins that they had over the Saints and then over the Bills. They've been able to create a two-game distance between them and Houston, who's sitting at three and three. This is not any time to take your foot off of the gas. And this is a game that I'd be looking for that if I'm looking at the, the Jaguars winning this game because though the Steelers, they always have a decent defense, but the number one thing that they're doing is that I think it's kind of maybe cloak and dagger. It's just the fact that they're getting after the quarterback and they're causing turnovers, but the defense itself is not really that good. They're, they are right now sitting 28th against the run, allowing about 145 yards rushing a game. Travis Etienne, it's go time. Doug Peterson, you know what to do here. And they're also 16th against the pass. So Trevor Lawrence, there's some room for you, wiggle room for you to do some things in here as well. You would have thought with the Steelers coming out of the bye that we would have seen and Mike Tomlin and that organization would have righted some 
right at some of the issues that they were having specifically in the offense. But to me, this team came back. It looked like the same old offense. Nothing changed. We talked about maybe they need to insert Jalen Warren as the starter and use Najee Harris inside the 20 and on and on tough yards maybe to close out some games to give this team a little bit more pop and a little bit more speed at the running at the running back position because right now he's just not cutting it and obviously he does not know how to get the ball consistently to those wide receivers which are all three capable wide receivers and oh by the way you have a 6-8 Donnell Washington tight end that you have from Georgia that you're still not using with Frymouth now out for the year if I'm not mistaken at least the next four games Defensive player of the year, Kennedy and TJ Watt, but they have got to get something going on offense because this is another another bubble that could burst as well, where you're going to get into the thick of these months. You're at four and two right now. You're sitting in the driver's seat, but now here comes Cincinnati coming back. Here come the Browns who are now highly competitive and if what the Ravens are starting to look like. This team could really go from being playoff contention to the bottom within the next three weeks. Alex, before we jump into some of these college football games, sign-stealing allegations have surfaced this week against Jim Harbaugh's program. Earlier in the week, Harbaugh released a statement saying that Michigan will cooperate with the NCAA's investigation. That's the news part of this here. But on the opinion side of this, I think it's more likely that it comes down to a young assistant coach who's very good at breaking down the signs and deciphering them was going to games, getting this information back to the coaching staff. I don't know if the NCAA is going to come back and say, hey, we found all the videos on Jim Harbaugh's computer and he was orchestrating this whole thing or not. I don't I don't know. I, I don't really know what they're going to find as far as like hardcore evidence here. Obviously, it's an ongoing investigation. If that's the case, if they find something like that, a smoking gun, so to speak, then I think Harbaugh could be in some major trouble here. So who really knows what comes of this? But if you think that Michigan is the only team doing stuff like this, wake up. Because all these teams cheat, guys. I know nobody wants to hear that. Everybody thinks that it was just Spygate and now it's just Michigan. It's, it's nonsense. All these teams are looking for an edge in major college football and in the NFL. And they have been for years. It's been going on forever. These are multi-billion dollar businesses. Yes, I know they're a school, but they're also a business. Nothing about this surprises me or quite frankly, even upsets me. People have been saying, oh, people have been stealing signs, stealing signs. Yes, but it's not about stealing signs. I mean, hey, we know all about, I can't remember the name of the book and the writer about how the 49ers and a couple teams used to hire ex-FBI agents for a professional lip readers to see what was being called which is why you still see coaches to this day cover their mouths with their when they're making the calls because they know that that type of thing still goes on this is simply about recording it you cannot record you can look and see and if you catch something you catch something but when you're recording something that is 1000 percent illegal and i'll say it i said it before i'll say it again this is my conspiracy theory I believe some of this might have even been put out by Jim Harbaugh because he's done with Michigan after this year. This is his last and best chance to win another national championship. He has a first-round quarterback in J.J. McCarthy on this on this team. That defense is very good. And this is, to me, his last true shot 
because before now you're bringing in the USC, you're bringing in UCLA, you're bringing all these other teams where things are going to get a lot tougher. You can't schedule paper towel university every single week and you're only going to play Ohio State at the end of the year. You now have to face somebody probably three to four times a year you're going to face a good team. I think this is his out, but I think he's done with Michigan after this year and he's going back to the NFL and this is part of his way to get out. Woo, man, Alex, the conspiracy theory, paper towel state, <laughs> the hot, Harbaugh going to the NFL, some hot takes in there, man, all sprinkled in together. I, we got to leave it at that. That was that was absolutely awesome. Let's take a look back at college football week eight. You mentioned Ohio State. They were obviously in the big game of the week versus Penn State. I want to start with Penn State, though, Alex. James Franklin. Can he get this team to elite status? Because that question is still lingering now. He's now one and nine against Ohio State and three and sixteen at Penn State in games against top ten opponents. He's two and twelve on the road against top twenty-five teams. Look, he's a really good coach. He's a solid coach. This is a really good program. But is Penn State really going to be satisfied just being the third best program in the Big Ten? I don't know. Now, maybe it's good enough, you know, looking ahead here, maybe that is going to be good enough for them because with the upcoming 12 team playoff third or even fourth place in the new big 10, probably going to get you into the playoff anyway. But when you look at this game, once again, Penn state comes up light. They just weren't good enough. They shrank in the moment. The stage felt too big for them. Their offense was a mess. Their play calling I thought was bad. Their third down execution was terrible in this game their quarterback was outmatched versus this Buckeye defense and I got to give credit to Ohio State here because Ohio State won the game and they won it without Travion Henderson their best running back and without Emeka Igbuka their second best wide receiver who's an NFL wide receiver in his own right but Marvin Harrison Jr. like I said was the guy that Penn State circled in red going into this game they knew that's the guy that you've got to stop. He was the guy that they had to at least limit, and he went completely nuts in this game. He was a monster. This team showed me again, Ohio State, that is, that after the after that Notre Dame game and now this game, they can win in a fist fight. And it's mostly because of defensive coordinator Jim Knowles and the impact that he's had on this defense. They completely shut down the Penn State run game. Look, I thought Penn State would be able to run the ball here. They've got some really good running backs. They've got a really good O-line, and Ohio State completely shut them down. This defense is really good, and it might just be good enough for them to beat Michigan this year. I'm not sure the offense is good enough, but the defense can keep them in any game. Yeah, big loss. I had big hopes for Penn State going into Ohio State. That is a team that I did. That is one of the games that I did pick, and I thought Penn State would be able to go into Ohio State and win because I do not believe in Ohio State or that quarterback. I thought Penn State was primed to take the next step to which you alluded to, but they just keep falling short. And unfortunately, this may not bode well going down, going as they go into the final stretch. They're going to need, they're going to need to beat Michigan first and foremost. They're going to need to beat Michigan and they're going to need to get another big win or maybe somebody else needs to fall to try and jump back up. They're currently, if I'm not mistaken, they're at number seven, if I'm not mistaken right now. They're at number 10, excuse me. They're number 10 right now. 
So they're number 10. So I basically think it's, they're, they're going to be out because now Alabama's decided to sneak their way back up into the, <laughs> to the top 10. But I don't see any way that they can possibly jump back up and have a true bid for the playoffs after that loss, even if they do go and beat Michigan, unless it's a convincing you know, win over them. They're going to need some help to be able to jump back up into the playoffs. Alex, Washington, we know, had that big win against Oregon the week prior, but then they escape with a really close win over Arizona State. Is this concerning or is this just a hiccup, Alex? It's concerning. Arizona State is 1-6 and and 0-4 in the Pac-12. You had no business struggling with this team whatsoever. Michael Penix Jr., two interceptions, which I believe now moves him out of the Heisman lead and puts J.J. McCarthy firmly in the lead for the Heisman now. So I believe he's taking himself out or taking maybe one to two slots down in terms of this type of game that he had against this type of opponent. I don't know. This didn't this didn't look well for me. I, you can't do this against Arizona State. This is not. This is a team you should have really beat by maybe even 20 to 30. I'm not sure what the line was, but I, we know they for a fact they didn't cover because 15 to 7 is almost a baseball score. So I, I, this, I, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm side-eyeing it. I'm not overlooking it because it is a thing. You can't lose. You can't, excuse me, you can't have a game like this against Arizona State. Yeah, I'm with you, Alex. I think it is a little bit concerning. We're, we're going to find out if it was just a hiccup, maybe in a little bit of an emotional letdown after the big game coming off that big win against Oregon. Maybe they bounce back. But you're right. I think Penix is suddenly maybe found himself from front runner to taking a back seat. And another guy here, Alex, I think Marvin Harrison Jr., after what he just did, that game we just talked about, the season he's having, I think he just threw his hat in the ring for the Heisman as well. That's going to be an interesting chase here down the stretch. But speaking of quarterbacks here, Texas wins a close one, but they end up losing their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, to an injury. Now, Steve Sarkeesian said Malik Murphy and Arch Manning are both going to receive some first-team practice reps. Sarkeesian said Ewers would be, quote, week to week, but did not offer any specific timetable here. They're a 17.5-point favorite over BYU this week. The only other team with a winning record on the schedule is Kansas State the following week. But this is a big injury here. We know how important this quarterback is to this team. Should Texas fans be nervous going forward, Alex? Well, you have no choice but to be. I don't know if Arch Manning, I already had questions about Arch Manning, but I don't know if Arch Manning, and I'm not familiar with the other quarterback, but I don't think Arch Manning is ready at all to come in and step in this season. I mean, anything is possible, but if I was a betting man, I don't think he's ready. This is a big blow to Texas after having the season that they've had, probably looking forward to try and make a push to go and do something and, and, and be better and maybe have a shot at the playoffs. I think we're going to watch them start to falter a little bit here. They can actually probably lose two more games if he was out for the rest of the season, which I've heard a little bit about, but I think they could be out for the, I think he could be out for the season. I want to jump to Alabama. Now, if I had the coin, I would pay for the rights to play the Darth Vader theme music here. Obviously I can't afford uh, (laughs) that kind of money to play that kind of music, to have the rights to play it in this podcast. But I think you can hear it in your head because it kind of feels like the empire is striking back. So to speak, Alabama, who myself included here was really starting to question if this team really had it this year. Look, there's still some games to go. Anything can happen. 
but they're just quietly putting it together here. Quarterback Jalen Milrow, look, he's not one of these NFL quarterbacks, one of these NFL starters like they've had in recent years. I mean, they've had a parade of guys at the quarterback position that have basically been NFL-level guys. They're not quite as deep. The offensive line isn't just loaded with first-rounders like they've had in years past. Early in the year, you get beat by a Texas team with a better roster, and then, you know what, all of a sudden they just keep winning. They get down 20-7 to at the half to Tennessee. They come out. They beat the brakes off Tennessee in the second half, and they cruise to a 34-20 win that is really, to me, when I look at this kind of big picture, this is the definition of a great program. They might not be a great team this year. We, we know it's not the most talented Nick Saban team at Alabama, certainly, but what a program this is just to continue to find ways to win even when you're not your best. Maybe, maybe Nick Saban's least talented team that he's had in years at least, and they look like they could be back in the SEC championship game. Really impressive job by this team week in and week out. You, I think you coined it right by using the the Darth Vader theme music because that's exactly what it is because here they come. I mean, if you look at them outside of the Texas, the only thing that's been about Alabama is they just not have, they have not looked dominant to what we are accustomed to seeing, but they have been winning. This is similar to some of the things that we talk about when it comes to Cowboys, Yankees, or Lakers. If it was any other team, we will be talking about this team in a different light. But because it's Alabama, we're downplaying the fact that of what they're doing and how they're doing it, even though these are none of these look like the dominant wins that we're accustomed to. Any other team we're talking about them differently. Next week, they face LSU, who is la- probably like, what, 131st in defense, if I'm not mistaken, in a, in a game that they're more than likely going to win. And you're absolutely right. Then after that, they have Kentucky, Chattanooga, then Auburn, all winnable games, and they can find themselves right back in that championship game, more than likely facing Georgia. And I think Georgia is right to be picked off, as I, and I'm going to continue to say that, but this could be this could be the collision course that they're headed for, and they can probably perhaps find themselves backdooring their way into the playoffs. Alex, USC, Utah. Look, Utah gets another win here. They've basically owned USC the last couple of years. We've talked about it almost at nauseum here. USC has to change its identity on the defensive side of the ball, period. They have to find a real defensive coordinator that can not only call plays, but I think it's bigger than the play calling. Now, the play calling hasn't been good on the defensive side of the ball. We know that. But they need to instill a culture of toughness because this team is just all finesse. Every Lincoln-Riley team looks the same. Going back to his Oklahoma days, high-flying offense, great quarterback, no defense. Now, they could get away with that in the Big 12, and they continue to struggle with Utah. Guess what? I hate to break it to you, USC fans. Utah is exactly like the type of teams that they're going to face week in and week out in the Big 10. Now, they have NFL talent on the defensive side of the ball, so there's no reason they should be this bad. They've got players. It's coaching and culture, Alex. Make defense a priority, or this team is going to continue to underachieve even with a generational quarterback in Caleb Williams. Well, the first thing is, when you move to the Big Ten, you're going to have a problem because uh, Michigan, regardless who's coaching them, Ohio State, Penn State, those guys are going to be coming with defense. 
And then I, they, and they're not going to be small. They're, we're not just talking about finesse plays. They're going to be coming to hit you in the mouth. You cannot take that type of style of play into that type of division and expect to win because it will not work. And you will find yourself consistently looking on the outside, looking in if you do, if that philosophy does not change. There's always a lot of rumors talking about, hey, wherever Caleb goes, Lincoln Raleigh could go, whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't believe that's the case. Caleb Williams, and I believe Caleb Williams is still going to go and leave this year as well. And Lincoln Riley, you're going to go into that big thing. You're going to have to fix some things. You're going to have to change your recruiting. You're going to have to maybe bring in some defensive-minded people that really know how to coach defense up and get the right personnel in there because you are going to need to start recruiting in that in Western Pennsylvania and get some of those type of guys on your team because that is not going to cut it what you currently have on your team if that's the style that you want to continue playing as you go into the Big Ten because it will not work. And it can't be, oh, I'm going to rely on, I have this quarterback, whether it's Caleb or whether it's another great quarterback that you get to bail us out. That is not a recipe to win. And Brad, before we move on, I just want to mention two other games. North Carolina, sorry, you. The, it was fun while you were here, but that, that loss to Virginia, 31-27, to I told you guys Drake May wasn't a guy, but whatever. And then there was one more game, Florida State, I, and I mentioned this last week, Florida State, I did expect them to win, but I said one of the things we really want to look at, Riley Leonard, can he throw his hat into the ring as one of these upper echelon and move up the quarterback ranks for coming out? He could not. Seven for 16, 69 yards and an interception. That is not what we were looking for in a big-time game like this, win or lose. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up North Carolina especially, Alex. Man, that had to be one of the most shocking upsets of the week in college football. This was a team that had legit ACC championship aspirations. To lose to Virginia, boy, that's a bad loss. A two-win Virginia team, this is a bottom feeder program in that conference. You have no business losing that game. Alex, we don't have a lot of big matchups next week in college football there's really only one game that's really worth circling here number eight oregon at number 13 utah what are you looking for in this matchup because these are two really good teams play a physical style of football in utah we know this is a hostile environment this is going to be a big time test for oregon here what do you expect to see in this game so, yeah, Brad, this comes down to the quarterbacks to me. I mean, Ken Rising has been announced out for the year, so I'm going to have to go with Oregon and Bo Nix and what he's been able to do and his veteran leadership here over Utah. Tough game, but I think they match up well from a size perspective in the trenches, which is one of the reasons I picked Utah over USC is because of that advantage. I think they've met, they're going to meet their match with Oregon, and I think Bo Nix, I'm going to go with Bo Nix and his experience over Utah. Utah good team. I mean, they they came into this year this season without their starting quarterback and I believe without the starting tight end and now the quarterback is still out for the year. There's they maintained to be at least 13th overall. So it's a good coaching job they're doing over there, but Oregon's going to take Utah in this game. I'm going with Utah in that game because of the home field, because of the coaching. Now look, I like Dan Lanning. I think he's a really good young coach and I think he's really building something at Oregon. But Utah's coach, Kyle Whittingham, is quite frankly the most underrated coach in college football, and he has been for a while. This guy has an incredible consistency with this program. They are just tough, smash-mouth, punch-you-in-the-teeth kind of football team. They're a team that Oregon has had issues with in the last couple seasons. They've had problems with this team. They've had some close games with them. And in Utah, that is going to be a really tough place 
to get a win here because Utah is one of the few teams that really matches up in the trenches and from a physicality standpoint with Oregon. Oregon, and like I mentioned with Dan Lanning, he's really brought an SEC style of recruiting to Oregon, building on the interior of that offensive defensive line, big physical guys. Utah has the guys and the coaching and the tenacity to match that when it comes to Oregon here. If this game was at Austin Stadium, I'd be leaning Ducks. They're still a six and a half point favorite on the road. I think that's too many points here. I'm definitely going to take Utah to cover and possibly even win this game. I do want to mention one more game. I know there's not a lot of meat on the bone out here, but Georgia versus Florida is going to be very interesting. Florida, I know it's my team. They're up and down, but they were down, and I think this is a game they're actually going to be up for, and this is in the swamp. So it's going to be interesting to see what Georgia looks like and if Florida can play up to the number one seed. I think this is a pick. I'm going to keep watching it. The line is 14 and a half and the over under is 47 and a half. I think that Florida could pick Georgia off. Georgia's quarterback Beck, I don't believe in. He's another quarterback that I'm not looking at, that I believe in too much. And our our quarterback has been up and down in Mertz. But I think this is a game that this will be one of his up games. Don't believe Brock Browers is playing in this game. Am I saying that correct? Browers is out this game. I know he was hurt. Yes. Right. So it's going to be interesting. That's really the reason I'm 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 even mentioning this game because Bowers is out. If he was in, I wouldn't give us a chance. But I think I don't know if Beck is the quarterback that can rise above certain challenges, and we're going to see them in this game. Yeah, Alex. With Brock Bowers out, that certainly makes it interesting. And we've seen we've seen Georgia have some struggles this season. They haven't quite looked like the team that we've seen the last couple of years. Florida, this rivalry game, this might be a situation where maybe you could see an upset here. Like you mentioned, the home field advantage is huge. The Week 8 helmet sticker. My helmet sticker this week, Alex, goes to Illinois defensive lineman Jerzon Newton. For you guys who have been subscribed to the PGF newsletter, you already know, back on September 1st, I wrote an article titled College Football's Top 5 Defenders in 2023, and this guy made the list. By the way, if you haven't subscribed to the free newsletter, go to pintglassfootball.com, sign up for free, and get exclusive content like that article that I mentioned. We don't put that stuff out anywhere else. But I mentioned this guy in the newsletter, like I said, back in September, because he is a big-time player that's really flying under the radar for most people. The average fan might not know about him, but man... What a player Jerzon Newton is. He showed again last Saturday why he's one of the best in the nation in the interior. Six tackles, one tackle for a loss, two sacks, one quarterback hit, five quarterback pressures, and a forced fumble, two defensive stops versus the run against a good Wisconsin team. This is a guy who was a monster in the middle, and he's going to be a big-time draft pick in April. Alex, let's wrap it up like we do every week with the locks of the week. Alex, we've been having trouble here. We've been back and forth here with the locks of the week. I don't think we've had one week where we both picked a winner. It seems to be one of us hits, one of us misses. I I really want to have a winning week this week, Alex. Last week, you took the Raiders and laid the three points. I took the Eagles and laid the two and a half. Who's going to be your lock of the week this week? 
I spoke about them before. I spoke about the reasons why I'm going to take the Jaguars over the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Unlikely place to take the to take the opponent coming into Pittsburgh, but I like what I'm seeing from seeing from the Jaguars. I don't like what I've seen from the Steelers coming out of the bye. The Jags are given uh, two and a half points, and the over under is 42. I laid the two and a half. I take the Jaguars, and I take a prop bet on Travis Etienne going over 100 yards and a touchdown. Alex, this week, I'm going to take UCLA minus 17 over Colorado. Now, UCLA is a legit top 25 team. Their defense only gives up 268 yards a game. Colorado's defense on the other side has been bad all year. They give up 470 yards a game. UCLA is going to be able to run the ball and control this game up front. UCLA quite frankly, probably should have beat Oregon State, a very good team, and they crushed Sanford last week. This is a good football team, and they're at home. Colorado just, I like what they're building, but they just aren't ready to compete in games like this yet. That is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.